All right, welcome to Staking Mondays. Uh, my name is Alan. I'm the head of research at Staking Rewards, and today it's my pleasure to discuss the state of staking with Elton, uh, one of our recent senior researchers, uh, to join the team here at Staking Rewards. Um, yeah, together with Elton, we'll be discussing, going through a few slides later on in a few minutes, going through all the data we've collected in the past few months on user behavior, provider behavior, and some discussions around why we think these numbers are there the way they are. Uh, so yeah, Elton, quick intro from yourself. Yeah. Hey, everyone. Excited to be chatting with you today and, and joining the Staking Awards team. Uh, background on myself, I've been working in venture capital, the tech space, and finance uh, for the past six years. Uh, so looking forward to digging into this data with you guys. We've got about 1,500 users that responded and about 30 validators as well. Uh, so it's, it's really exciting information. All right, sounds good. Yeah, so um, just to give an overview, so Elton's going to be running our content team. He's done a great job the past few months, and the full report's going to come out before the end of the year, hopefully. There's been a lot of things going on in the market, so we need to see whether timing-wise we can fit everything in before then. But yeah, let's jump straight into the presentation then. Let's do it. Um, let me... Okay, there we go. So as we mentioned, one and a half thousand uh, crypto users responded with the survey. Uh, it was about 30 questions that they went through. And then the validators, uh, 30 validators, some of the logos on here, they went through about 40 questions. So we consolidated all the responses. Uh, and for this particular presentation, it doesn't include all the responses. So it's not the most exhaustive, but it, uh, highlights what we think is some of the most interesting uh, aspects of it. So we've divided this particular presentation into four sections. So first we'll talk about what users uh, assess when they're looking at tokens that they're investing in, uh, validators that they're selecting to stake with, um, and how they go about making those decisions. Then we'll look into the transition towards non-custodial staking and what are some roadblocks uh, that exists to that today from a user perspective. Uh, the key development section will go through liquid staking and MEV as two of the more uh, exciting advances this year within crypto. And then lastly, we'll finish off with the validator outlook. Um, and throughout it, Alan and I will be chatting about the data and then we'll also be giving some thoughts on, you know, how we think the data got there, as Alan mentioned. So kick things off on the first section regarding the user staking assessment factors. Uh, this particular present slide consists of four different questions that we asked. So the first one, um, and Al, let me know your thoughts on this one. We, we can go one by one. So out of all the responses, about 56% of users mentioned that the long-term asset outlook and the rewards, which is about 31% of users are the two most important factors when deciding which token to invest in. Uh, I was a little bit surprised on this one because you know, I noticed, like, for example, team and the actual usability of the protocols that people are investing in wasn't as highly ranked. Um, but wondering what your thoughts are on this one, Alan. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, within crypto, you see that a lot of people not really caring so much about who you are and what you do. So I think that's why the team like, is probably quite bit less important i think 
maybe it was phrased in a way where people think, oh, the team is you know, from the US or from Germany. Like, maybe that's not what they care about. Maybe it's more of an output or a future vision that kind of takes over there. So the long-term view of the asset um, might also incorporate what people feel about the team in the future and how they're growing rather than the team itself. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, obviously we are staking rewards. People want to stake for long-term. So I'd say long-term view is quite important for people. I guess most people that come to our side do want to do something for long-term. Same with the rewards incentives. That's why we come to staking rewards. Um, and yeah, I mean, see value in using the protocol. That's, it is a bit surprising, but at the same time, we are still fairly early in my opinion on, you know, all the utility that we'll be seeing uh, going forward on all the layer ones, um, layer twos. Yeah, even on the protocol level, the people who do want, the people who are looking for the utility um, let's say if you want to like get involved with GMX or GLP, like that's still a very small part of our users, I would say. Yeah, absolutely agree with you there. Um, it's interesting, like in traditional venture world, you see some of these stats flip, like the idea of team being super important. Uh, but, in, you know, looking at like the crypto space and that world going forward, it's definitely more about what you deliver and you know what the vision is like uh, versus information that that people might not know as much about uh, like the team and, and so forth. Uh, all right, so we'll move to the next question, the staking hesitations. So we asked users, you know, why do they think, not necessarily themselves, but why do they think that people are hesitant to stake? So Biggest one, 61% of respondents mentioned that people lack the knowledge uh, of staking. And second came in the regulation and tax uncertainty. Um, and I, I think these ones were pretty straightforward. And I mean, no surprises here on my end. Um, any, any thoughts on this one? No, not really. I mean, lack of knowledge, that's what, you know, we discussed at the summit with a lot of the attendees and during Breakpoint. Um, it's definitely the lack, you know, people lack this knowledge and understanding and how like the UX of the whole design is just, you know, still in its infancy. Um, we'll be discussing the, you know, user's preference to, um, you know, staking or being involved in centralized exchanges on the, on the next slide, I think, of the slide after. Um, mm -hmm. But you can see a huge difference between UX using centralized exchanges versus having to use multiple wallets, different applications just to delegate to a validator on chain. So I think that's, yeah, it's, I'm actually surprised it's only 61%, to be honest. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it, it's definitely something that requires still a lot of work for, even for like the average user. Um, next, we have the validator selection. So this talks, this particular question covers um, from the user perspective, like what, what data points do they look at when they're trying to assess the validator that they're looking to stake with? Uh, the most important one, and again, I think this one makes a lot of sense, is about features. So what are the different uh, tokens that the validator supports? The more options, the better. What type of customer support do they offer? And then what type of terms do they offer the user? So things like commission rates uh, and lockup periods and things like that. Uh, and then next one, Surprising this one, like team is more important than when we were looking at token selection, uh, security, third, and so on. Um, I think these ones are probably straightforward as well. 
Um, and the last one on the validators, the question that we asked for this particular presentation was if the uh, high balance stake is a particularly high ratio. So that means that of all the balance that the validator has, users really want to see uh, being the majority of that being staked. And about 50% of users found that important, um, which again, that I mean, that one's a little uh, interesting because I'm not too sure what to make of, of that particular data point. Any thoughts on that, Alan? Yeah, um, I guess if you can take this question from two sides. So maybe some users looked at it from two different perspectives. The way if I read the question, um, I would personally think most users would think they would pick the highest validator in terms of, you know, most people delegate to them, they have a high self-state value and just pick the first one of the, one of the first 10 on the list ranked by the total balance they have. Um, the way I would look at it is more, if you are a validator and you own 100 tokens, if you only have 10% of them staked, you don't really have all the skin in the game. Uh, so I would say people, probably half the people who selected, you know, preference for high stake value, maybe they thought one way or the other, um, or even less people thought it's important for them to have a skin in the game. Uh, but it's definitely something we can dig into a bit more, maybe like another question now, something to really dig deeper into that one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because it's interesting to distinguish if it's either the validators, uh, like are they fully using the capital that they have? Are they being efficient with it? Uh, or are there other factors as well? All right, so moving on, journeying towards non-custodial staking. So these, these set of questions focus on understanding one, what type of method are users using to stake uh, and delegate their tokens, either through like non-custodial routes or through custodial routes. Uh, and then we ask them their opinions on decentralization. So what really, really interesting correlation that we noticed from this is the more decentralized approach a user takes to staking, uh, the higher their opinion is of decentralization and the importance of decentralization. Whereas uh, users that are staking through uh, custodial providers actually value decentralization the least and not only relative to people staking, but also relative to people that aren't even staking or considering staking. Uh, so super interesting to see that that data point sort of speak the obvious, but to see that that they care less about uh, decentralization even more than people that are not staking, uh, I thought was really interesting to point out. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it just backs up what we, you know, our assumptions already were. I mean, I am fairly surprised that people running their own nodes or people staking directly through smart contracts or on-chain would actually recommend staking to a friend. Um, you know, it's it's a rabbit hole to go out down into. Usually when any of my friends that are not that into crypto keep asking about it, staking is the last thing that I mentioned to them. You know, first you figure yeah. out what you're doing, figure out the tokens. I wouldn't straight away be like, all right, you have dollars, buy tokens and stake them. You know, just ease them into it a bit. Um, but I guess people who are running their own nodes, their friend circle mostly revolves around people that are already into crypto. So then again, maybe that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And they're probably, they're probably really invested in the process as well, since they go through all the trouble of, of setting up their nodes and so on. Uh, so it's probably something that they really believe in. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. 
Okay, so digging a little deeper on the journey towards non-custodial staking, uh, we ask users their opinions of non-custodial staking. So only 13% of users actually don't see the benefits of non-custodial staking. So even though in the previous question we showed behavior that not necessarily everyone is doing non-custodial staking, uh, majority of, of people actually do believe that there's significant benefits to non-custodial staking. And the people that said that outside of the ones that uh, the 13% that didn't see the benefits, the other reasons why people are not doing non-custodial staking is because one, they don't know how to, so they need education. They need some sort of assurance uh, to make sure that they feel safe doing so. And then lastly, making the experience a lot easier. Uh, and I think further to that, if we look at people that mentioned that they do stake, but are on custodial provider services rather than non-custodial provider services, their number one reason why they do that is because it just takes too much work to actually do non-custodial staking yourself. Uh, so I think these are really interesting pain points that users are pointing out about the, the staking process. Yeah, certainly. I'm also curious to see how these numbers changed over the last week, right? So yeah, we, we might have to redo the slide in a couple of months and see, you know, are people still, you know, are more people actually reading about staking and how to get onto the, you know, using their own um, wallets and everything? Because um, obviously, you know, it is easier to do everything on centralized exchanges. You pay a bit of commission, but I don't think anyone really expects to pay 100% commission at the end of the day when things, you know, go, go south. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of projects going on at the moment that are trying to improve the UX. Um, it's worthwhile to go back and listen to a few of the discussions we had, a few panels we had on at the staking summit, especially the first one of the day on how to grow staking to a billion users. Um, yeah, that's definitely, there's definitely a lot of things going on. There's definitely a lot of advancements being made. So looking forward to the next bull run 2024, probably. Yeah. Yeah. If we're lucky. Um, I think, yeah, I, I totally, totally agree with you. And I think one other aspect of it, which users seem to be portraying through this is like the way that information is communicated to users and the way that it's presented to users to help them really understand benefits, the process, how to go about it also seems something that users uh, really want in non-custodial staking. Okay, so moving on, uh, we next we'll talk about liquid staking and MEV. So with liquid staking, there are some interesting discrepancies between users and validators. So uh, we have about 81% of users are actually liquid staking right now about half of those users are only staking between more than, you know, 0.1% to 25%, uh, which is, again, for, for a new uh, staking solution, it's, it's a great start for the year. Uh, and then if we look at their sentiment towards look at staking, which is really interesting, is 40% only think that liquid staking is positive for the ecosystem. Whereas validators, uh, they're not all of them are offering staking opportunities as much. So only 62% of validators are offering liquid staking, but they have a significantly higher sentiment of 71% relative to users. So what do you make of this, Alan, in your opinion? Yeah, I mean, I think users follow 
you know, follow Twitter. If there's things going on on Twitter, the sentiment of the users will change drastically. You know, after the after the merge, um, when everyone started looking into it and going on rated.network and seeing like, oh, Lido owns 30% of the network, the sentiment shifted completely. Um, so from a user perspective, you know, they kind of look at the first layer, most users. Whereas I guess from a validator perspective, they can dig, dig deeper and see actually 30% by Lido is actually only, it's being diversified between 28 different validators. So that's a kind of first negative sentiment where people who are deeper into it might not feel the same as like, you know, users who just kind of see what's going on Twitter. Um, but from a user perspective, again, you know, they might want to be involved, you know, people might want to just put some money into a project protocol. It's hopefully safe enough for them to hold it for a year. And at the, at the end of it, who knows, maybe it's going to be an airdrop, maybe they get something out of it on top of the rewards. Um, you know, people always do like, you know, airdrop farming every, every day. Uh, but yeah, in terms of the validators not being involved in liquid staking as much, I think it's probably also like, what's the best solution for validators? Um, mm. Is it, you know, are the solutions out there now actually worthwhile for all the validators and providers to get into? Are they waiting for something different? Are they actually working on their own solutions as well? You know, it's probably going to, there's probably quite a few providers trying to find, you know, what is the most optimal thing for them either building it themselves or working with someone who's going to be launching it at some point in the near future. Um, so why, yeah, from that perspective, why would you get involved now in a protocol you don't believe in if there's something new coming out? So whilst your positive, like whilst your sentiment and liquid staking is positive, you might just want to delay your entry to it. Yeah, very true. And you, you're probably making a lot more uh, significant decisions as a validator that are probably more permanent and longer term than you know a user because a user can more easily get out of liquid staking whereas validators have to build an entire process around it so agreed with you despite there might be positive the amount of work and decisions that need to be made prior to actually doing that is a lot more significant yeah. um, and also what one interesting fact like at least from this data that we have only 19 percent of crypto users that do stake don't actually liquid stake. So majority of, of users are actually liquid staking to some degree, uh, but really interesting data on this one. Yeah, I mean, for like certainly there's a lot of people from the Cardano community who answer this question and they're quite, you know, they're, they're, they're quite uh, loud about the fact that Cardano offers only liquid staking, right? So uh, I'm pretty sure majority of the people who answered this are part of that community. So I would say, if we subtract those, maybe we'll see this number shift as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to MEV participation. So from the data that we asked, uh, primarily validators, so 40% of validator providers participate in MEV and uh, the majority of them actually earn less than 10% of revenues from MEV. Um, and something positive for delegators, at least for now, about 92% of the of the validators share between 70% to 100% of all MEV revenue with them. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the big question on this one is we talk about uh, MEV, you know, something that's really important in the space, especially around the conversation of centralization versus decentralization, 
know, what are your thoughts on, on this? Because this is probably going to be one of the most developing uh, events in the space in the next year or two. I mean, I'm, I do think MEV as a topic will die down quite soon. Um, I mean, it was around a year or two ago. It's going to be around for the next few years as well, but it's just gotten, you know, it's just being discussed now because of the merge. Most people just didn't even know about it. Um, and I do think that the like, MEV will uh, go up in terms of its share, how much validators are making. But there's discussions going around now with like different protocols um, actually having like protection from MEV, um, MEV on the protocol le layer as well. So the protocol actually gets the MEV, uh, MEV revenue instead of the validators. Um, so I think we're gonna, not only are we going to see a shift in these numbers and how much you can make from it, but also about who gets them. So maybe validators are not going to make anything from MEV, but MEV is going to contribute to, you know, 20% of what the users make. Maybe it's going to be sort of every time you do a trade, if the protocol makes MEV from it, you get an instant rebate as well. Um, so, yeah, I do think it's going to be a, a big topic, not in terms of, you know, users looking into it in depth, but definitely something to follow, definitely something that there's going to be a lot of innovations uh, from all different types of angles. Um, yeah, but I am quite surprised with the 40% of validators participating. Likely that's, you know, not not all not all layer ones um, offer MEV. Yep. There's no easy way to get it. You know, a lot of the validators or providers we spoke to and question here, um, you know, validate on the Cosmos chain. And there's not really any solutions at the moment for MEV there. There's a few in the production. I mean, again, we had Barry from Skip um, at the staking summit, I would definitely urge you, ev urge everyone to, yeah, watch the keynote he gave um, and see what direction Cosmos is going in. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of stuff going on, a lot of stuff moving, and yeah, looking forward to it over the next two years or so. Yeah, absolutely, and I think with with the ETH merge, like you mentioned, uh, MEV has been a hot topic, and will die down, but I think at the same time, we'll see it spurring up uh, in the next year or two as, as we move towards uh, the, the future of ETH. Yeah, you, you, discussions will go down, but innovation will not, in my opinion. Interesting. Speaking of uh, innovation, one of the, I mean, again, this is probably revolving around centralization versus decentralization. Um, at the end of, of this is like validator infrastructure. Um, so majority of validators today are actually evenly distributed between uh, physical and cloud servers. And most anticipate physical hosting will outpace cloud hosting in the long term. So uh, a few questions on this one. You know, one, you're, you're thinking about how does this affect a delegator's perspective when they're looking at a validator? Do they really care? Uh, if a uh, validator is either physical or cloud hosted. And then if you're thinking about it from the validator perspective, you're thinking about it from a business operations perspective, because one of these options could potentially be cheaper for you, uh, either short term or long term. So how do you make that decision? Uh, and interesting to see that validators long term believe that physical hosting will, will outpace uh, cloud hosting. And that, that might be towards like the ethos of decentralization within crypto uh but curious your thoughts on on this alan 
Yeah, I think we've seen recently with Hetzner, a lot of like twenty percent of his whole Solana network basically went down. Um, that's that's in my opinion the biggest risk. You know, as a, as a as a provider, you know, you have higher costs running it yourself. Um, you you know maintenance, you have to be more alert. You have to build all of the systems around it, like all the monitoring yourself. Um, whereas with, you know, if you go for a cloud server with AWS, Google Cloud, Tencent, whoever, most of the tools are there for you. So you only really have to worry about the, like the staking operation rather than the server operation. <clears throat> From a delegator's perspective, you know, yeah, if you're delegating to a provider who relies on cloud services, you can also, most of the time, it's more reliable um you have you know if you if they're running on like aws um contabo tencent google like they're huge teams that have experience running servers like even bigger servers when we need for crypto at the moment without many issues so you know they are reliable from the operation side of things but the risk comes with any kind of regulation them being scared of what's going to happen which i think now with google cloud entering the uh solana ecosystem Tencent trying to make a break into uh, crypto as well. I think that kind of risk is only really present for like like some of these uh, cloud service providers. It would be very strange if you you know you're hosting something on Google Cloud and they shut down all Solana validators if they're actually one of them. Um, mm. So I think that's kind of you know that part of a risk that you had before Hesna went down and the week after Hesna went down. It, you're kind of seeing this kind of slow shift where the people who are really against it are completely against it and the people who are pro will actually do it themselves and will announce to everyone like we are fine with you doing this um so we see a lot of uh, in my opinion we see a lot of people shifting towards those providers which will reduce the risk for delegators in my opinion um obviously you, you can't you can't be more decentralized than running your own physical servers mm -hmm. but it is a risk um yeah it is a risk obviously with innovations like dbt um we'll also see changes there you know it'll be interesting to see in the net in a year's time how this looks how much of the network is being run on dvts um yeah there's not much more from my side to be honest I'm just curious curious how these numbers will change yeah that definitely and considering like especially what happens with with uh with crypto in the next couple of quarters um then the whole situation going on right now with like FTX and Alameda. Uh, it'll be interesting to see validated decisions moving forward. Yeah. Okay. So right. next we'll cover commission rates. Um, so 45% of validators believe that commission rates are too high. And that is for uh, custodial about their opinion on custodial uh, validators versus the uh, half of, of validators believe that the fees, the commission fees are going to trend downwards in the future towards trade five fees. Um, and then half of users believe that the commission fees that they're paying for staking, uh, regardless of the type of validator that they're staking with, uh, they believe that generally those commission rates are fair. Uh, what are your thoughts on commission rates and about this data? Yeah, I mean, this is a super interesting topic for me. I was on the panel recently at the Staking Summit on, you know, validated pricing strategies, 
we went a bit in depth on how it works. Um, one of the most, you know, one of the most interesting things, one of the most transparent things that was discussed is actually that institutions do, you know, deals behind closed doors on getting smaller commission rates with these providers, which makes sense. Um, it happens in traditional finance. It happens everywhere. Every every market you look at, there's you know deals being done. What I did like though is that they mentioned that on stage, you know, at the staking summit in front of 500 people, like they were open about it, which you don't really get anywhere else. So, yeah, whilst the fees is like, so going back to the actual commission rates, like I do think the fees are quite high. Um, it makes sense for them to be high now, but I think as the market will mature, people will start realizing like, okay, what is it I'm paying for? They will start looking at the big providers um, like Coinbase, Coinbase, for example, charging 20%. And the number one on Cosmos at the moment, you know, they'll start shifting. Like, not only are you paying too much potentially, maybe you're paying too little, right? That's not the story. That's not the question for me. Is how much revenue are these providers making, and is that justifiable? Maybe you'd rather maybe you'd rather delegate to one of the smaller providers who charges forty percent than delegating to the top ones charging twenty, just to kind of shift this kind of you know go away from proof of marketing to proof of staking, where people who make the most money can have the best marketing and you know dominate the market we, we need to have a shift where people start delegating to those making less regardless of the commission rate they charge T totally and i think it'll be interesting and maybe we'll, we can do this data on the full ecosystem report this analysis where we also look at validator decisions around uh, how their infrastructure is being built uh through you know physical versus cloud and a bunch of other decisions that they're making uh because maybe some you know, maybe some validators in the future of providers will be providing additional uh, benefits versus co competition. So that might justify uh, better rates for them or higher rates. Uh, so irrespective of just looking at rates, looking at the other decisions that validators are making, uh, it'll be interesting to see how if delegators would be willing to pay like a premium for a particular uh, features or, or more decentralization and, and so forth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we saw in one of the first on the first slide, right? Forty percent of people say the most important thing in selecting a validator is the features for them. So I do yeah. think, I do think there's a lot of work the smaller providers can do, like hosting hosting events, creating communities in their own countries to make them stand out. You know, Cosmos Station with Minscan, for example, like those are features that you are paying for by paying the commission to them, but you're actually getting a lot more in return, like things you can't do yourself and things that other people wouldn't want to do. Yep, fair. And yeah, and, it, and I mean, then it becomes a lot about, you know, it's not about just a price competitive market. It becomes a lot about the value add that these validators are providing uh, to users. And then, so we have two more slides. Uh, and we're talking about the industry outlook. So we asked all the validators what they think are the most uh, interesting aspects of innovation happening in the validator space. So we broke that down into four. One is decentralized de decentralization enablers. So these are any sort of new technologies or processes that are uh, nurturing a more decentralized validator uh, experience. So essentially their main focus in terms of the outlook is thinking about how do they become more decentralized uh, decentralized in their operations and the industry in general. 
Um, and then we talked about economic innovation. So that's around the tokenomics of how projects are innovating, uh, scaling capabilities and security improvements. Those ones are pretty straightforward. Uh, but I think, again, decentralization is, you know, one of the most important and biggest themes in crypto. And I think it's no surprise that validators are also most interested in looking at innovations to further decentralization. Um, any thoughts on this one, Alan? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite surprised um, that, you know, we didn't have any comments from the provider saying, you know, actually tooling is the most important thing. Like over the last few days, mm -hmm. at Breakpoint and Summit, that was the most requested thing. Like everyone says, we need better tooling. We need better monitoring. We need, you know, alerts when things are going down, um, which, you know, is something that everyone's working on at the moment, something that we might see more happening from even from our side in the next year or so. Um, but yeah, no, definitely decentralization enablers. There was um, Sebastian from HopperNet at the summit giving doing a breakout session on introducing privacy for validators so you can hide your ip you can hide your location but still validate a network and how that would work and there was a lot of people present at the breakout session i think that was the main one um people really interested in like how would this work and like what are the benefits um and like you know how, like what do we risk when we do this like is a, is a potential civil attacks with decentralization enablers or not how do you get around mm -hmm. that um and is it kind of a short-term short-term loss for long-term gain and how do we calculate the risks of it like now? Like if someone comes up with a solution now, tomorrow, how do we know that, you know, someone's just not going to launch 175 validators in Cosmos and pretend to be different people? Um, so whilst, yeah, interesting innovations, I do hope that they don't come too soon, but they do, they come out in a very streamlined fashion and everything's well thought through and there's, you know, ways to get around it from the protocol level. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to your sentiment, uh, it's interesting looking at what we ask the same questions to users and from their perspective, it aligns to more to what you're talking about now, which is users. So we ask them, what do they want from validators uh, move, looking out into the future? The top three features requested is data analytics. So essentially anything that provides more information about the current portfolio or what's happening in terms of the particular protocols uh, through like on-chain data, tr really trying to understand that and making it easier for users to see all that information in you know, maybe one simplified spot is something that a lot of users are requesting. And then liquid staking, as I think as we also saw that earlier in the data, that's something that users are using it, but their sentiment is somewhat split. And then lastly, and I think also very necessary aspect of, of the future of staking is just ease of use for users. Uh, and these are the three top, top recommended uh, requested solutions. This was data that was like long text responses from 1,500 users. So we had to summarize this data into uh, a variety of categories. And in the actual full report, we'll go deeper into some of the requests that users are making. Uh, but this is the last data point we have today. Uh, so any thoughts on this one, Alan? Yeah, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised at how varied the answers are, right? I mean, this is like, in my opinion, a sign of like the mature market. It's not just, you know, data nerds going in and being like, oh, we want better analytics. And like 99% of people want that. It's like actually spread out people wanting 
different types of solutions like validator screening you know it's referred from the right it's you know we have people who care about this we care people about you know having liquid tokens people who care about it being easy um so yeah i think it's quite quite a good moment for staking right now where you have all of these different types of users but one different thing it's a difficult right like if it was you know if everyone wanted the same thing we could produce it in a you know a few months um but everyone you know everyone's different everyone's some like a different everyone wants to look at it from a different perspective and i think ultimately that's what's taking staking to the next level yeah absolutely and i think users as they're using it more uh and quickly becomes more popular amongst users we'll see more and more variety over time um but i mean that that was just a sneak peek of the data that we have with this particular survey that we did this year uh so we're working on the full report right now and we should have that out for everyone to see hopefully next month all right yeah awesome yeah and the yeah the full report is going to be available on our website uh you can also sign up for the newsletter to be notified as soon as it's live anyone who t uh, took the questionnaire and the surveys you'll get free copy um before the full release so yeah and also you know you can follow elton and myself on uh twitter We've got a staking intern Twitter account where we're posting any more insights, any more small, you know, if there's anything DGEN related that we can't put into the full report, but we know the staking intern is going to be there uh, for you to follow. And yeah, any questions, any comments on what you've seen today, just let us know, put it in the comments. Uh, we'll make sure to put as much as possible into the final report. And yeah, anything we left out, anyone we left out, if you still want to submit anything, let us know. We can still adjust numbers here and there. All right. Perfect, Elton. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak to you. And yeah, thanks, everyone. And happy staking.